0: Hello, welcome to episode fifteen of Mooncast. Uh, it's just me on here today. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit about the terrain in Moonstone and, and the different kinds of terrain and how to use it to your advantage and that kind of thing. But I want to start with introducing some regular segments that I want to put into these in these podcasts. Um, I've started listening recently to a 40k podcast called Lawhammer, and they have uh, regular segments they put into each of their podcasts and I quite like that idea so I'm going to nick it and do the same. So I'm going to do three different segments that I'll try and remember to put in every single podcast. Um, the first one will be what I call where we're at so we'll be a little bit about where sort of I'm at with Mo- Moonstone and where Moonstone is generally uh, or where we're at so me and me and Jack what we're doing and then I'm going to do a section called uh, listeners questions either something that someone's asked me uh, directly or it might be a question that I've seen appear on the um, Facebook group regularly or Twitter and I think that it's worth answering on this space and then at the end of each um, podcast I'm going to do uh, what we're looking forward to next section as well so I'll start with where we're at Um, it's a very exciting time I would say right now for Moonstone Um, where we're at is that uh, the two new box sets have come out and they've been received very well. The Blood Magic and. Oh, what's the other one called? I forgot it's called. The one with Joanna, Muradai, and Loki and the new gnomes. Um, the box has certainly been very, very, very well received. And um, uh, so the models, I think. Um, we've had a couple of tournaments that have been that have gone on. Um, so my tournament happened. Um, I got to talk about it a bit in the last podcast but we've had a couple of tournaments and there's another tournament coming up um in October at Wildstorm Games which I recommend as many people go to as they can I'm hoping to go. Um uh, be nice to go to a tournament that I'm not involved in arranging so that should be fun. Um also we've now got all the Lesch revolt sculpts have been finished uh ready for the Kickstarter so they hopefully will go into production soon. Obviously there's still a lot of playtesting on those characters and um me, Tom and Richie do a lot of uh, discussion on that uh, regularly with alongside a couple of other playtesters. Um, thanks in particular to uh, Joe Joe Parsons, who's helping Tom with a lot of playtesting. It's really good to have another person in there doing that. So that's going well. And then coming out soon, hopefully, we've got the Goblin Pirates coming out. Um, at El Capitano, uh, Krusty Barboa and Swigety Swooty. they will be really exciting and I've seen the... Um, renders of those two they look, they look fantastic um also in that release should be the rags to riches box set um which is Kaufman Gertrude the bounty hunter and Natty the slum thief which offer they they all offer something quite new and unique for uh, a human or commonwealth build, which would be quite fun and i think there's also coming out i think poss- i know bristle nose is coming out i think um I can't remember her name now, another giant's coming out, and possibly the no mare ship, but I'm not entirely sure if that one's coming out or not. But um a couple of a couple more big big deeds coming out, which will be really fun. Again, they offer something different. Um Bristol Nose is a incredibly high damage uh melee high damage um troll, and the other one, I'm not can't, can't remember her name, is a, another giant mercenary who's very good alongside other giants. Actually, she's fantastic alongside other giants so getting close to being able to build a pure giant build which would be fun so yeah that's kind of where we're at at the moment um, we're, we're obviously still doing a lot of playtesting, me and Jack on the on the channel, on on Yieldy Battle Reps. Um another report went up I think last week um, and we're still enjoying that I'm still going to try and put up a few reports at least, maybe every other report to be a sort of non-playtest report so people can see miniatures they might actually already own being used, I so think that's that's important as well. Um yeah, and we're kind of moving forwards really. They got we've seen I've seen some artwork for the new some of the other new forms, which would be good. Um we're getting there. Um yeah, things things are happening and it's exciting. Um right, next section is listeners' questions or readers' questions, whatever you want to call it. And I've sort of trawled through the Facebook group um and looking at various questions. I think the one I'd like to answer. It's not so much a question, but it's often a query that I see come up or um an issue people have is building their fairies um People often come up with saying they have trouble building their fairies, I thought I'd do a little bit of a talk about how I built mine and a bit of advice really on how to do that so it's not necessarily a question, but uh, maybe how maybe help people with the difficulty they might have so the thing with the fairies is um they're very small and we'll, we, anyone who's owned the fairies will know that they're I mean, the just tiny. Uh, some of the smallest miniatures I think I've ever built with very small parts. So step one is you want a really nice, sharp, clean pair of clippers to get them off the sprue. You don't want any chunky things that might might bend or snap the parts while you try to do that. So definitely make sure you've got some really nice, small, sharp clippers or a really sharp craft knife that you can get them off with without doing any damage. Cleaning any flashing off, that's obviously either with a craft knife or you can get um special knives to clean flashing off too um my, my advice for that is to do it as slowly as possible um pointing the knife away from you etc. all that kind of safety stuff but also scraping it rather than trying to rather than trying to um sort of carve it out by by using the blade of the knife pointing in the direction of travel the sort of sideways and gradually scrape it off in bits um that helps prevent any cutting into it or breakages. Um, and most people can do that bit okay, it's when they come to gluing it together they find it hard. Um, so, my best advice there is you need a pair of tweezers for the really small bits. That genuinely helps hold one bit with a pair of tweezers. Um, there's a couple of things you can do next. So, if they're really small bits, you should be able to do it with just super glue, but what you don't want is too much super glue. You only want a tiny little bit on there. If you end up with a pool of super glue, it takes ages to dry and it just doshes around. And then what it, does, what it actually does is it creates a barrier between the contact points um, and can actually make it harder to join together. So you only want a tiny bit of super glue to the extent where it's, it's actually worth trying to brush some of the super glue off end up with too much on before you try to attach the part. And you've got just got to kind of hold it there because these parts are so small and so light, they do actually glue relatively easily. Um, if you're trying to glue on the bigger bits, like the wings, what I do is I roll a tiny bit of green stuff and put it in the joint with super glue. So I super glue both sides of the green stuff, as it were. So I put super glue, tiny little bit of green stuff, and super glue again. Um, and then you can push the wing in. Um, you can do it with other bits like legs and things as well. I wouldn't recommend it with the really small bits because you can just see the green stuff. Because um, that green stuff will then just hold it in place for you long enough for the super glue to dry. And that works really well. Um... That's, what really, that's it really it ready for that? It's just being a bit patient. I think that one of the difficulties I think a lot of people have, and I certainly don't see this um as an issue, people having this this problem, is that um most people who do who do gaming collect something from Games Workshop and they produce stunningly good plastic miniatures which are usually a doll to glue together. So when you come to something that's not GW, it suddenly suddenly feels very really difficult anyone that's been in the industry in a long time and, you know, used to glue metal GW stuff together and their terrible attempt at fine cast will not actually think that these these metal these models for Moose are so too difficult to put together because they're still easier than they are. And remember we're trying to glue my old bloodthirster together and those wings on just two pieces of massive metal, which were an absolute nightmare. And then I I've also glued my own huge bloodthirster from Ford World together with massive wings and these just don't seem anywhere near as hard in comparison. Um, but yeah, yeah, they all tricky because they're fiddly and, and detailed. But definitely tweezers, tiny bit of green stuff will help. So on to the main topic for today, which is terrain: how it works in the in the game a little bit, uh, some experiences I've had on how to use terrain correctly or incorrectly, and um, talk about talk about some of the characters that use terrain and how to use them. So I've got the workbook in front of me. There's a few different kinds of terrain that I'll talk about. Um, I'll go through all the different kinds there are. And I'll just go through them all first and then talk a bit about how they should be deployed on the board and, and where, what to think about when you're putting the terrain down um, and how to use it to your advantage. So you've got the first one, open ground, which is the obvious one. Um, open spaces that could include grass, cobblestones or indoor spaces as well. So inside a building is open ground. It has no effect on movement, no effect on line of sight. That's the majority of your board anyway. You've got water features. Uh, don't affect line of sight, but you cannot jog through a water feature unless you're knows you can. Um, but you can step through it, well, which kind of makes sense. You can't... I mean, I, I I can't jog through a river, but I can step through it, so that's that makes sense that you shouldn't be able to do that. And then you've got wooded patches, um, that could be uh, a marked area with a few trees in it, where you've actually got a, a specific area marked. Um, for us in our games, we do it where the, with the, the base of the tree because they come on little bases. That is the wooded patch for us. Um, they, you can't uh, jog again. So wooded patch again, kind of makes sense. You can't jog through a tree, Um you can step through it as normal. Um, line of sight uh, provides cover. Now, again, the way that we do it personally is we just say that the tree itself is, is cover, not the base around it. Um, you could make it simply yourself and say the whole thing is, but then you could do it with a lot of lot of cover. Um, it's possible to draw line of sight into and out of a wooded patch, but not through it. So if I've got a model standing directly behind a wooded patch, but not touching it, you can't draw line of sight through me to it, unless some of my base is obviously sticking out the side, which case you can. If I'm in the wooded patch... So my model is on that base, so that's how we play it, or in whatever area you've designated is that wooded patch, then you can draw the light to me, but I'm in cover. So it's a minus one card or minus two if it's the middle of the base, however you want to play that. Um same if I'm in the wooded patch, um, and I'm drawing a light out of it, I can draw the light out of it. Um now obviously I'm I'm with an inch of it, so it shouldn't affect my line of my line of sight as normal. Then got obstacles. Uh, which tend to be what I would say the most numerous type of terrain you should find on your board. Uh, It could be low walls, boxes, barrels, hedgerows, fences, market stalls, um, all sorts of stuff. Also includes uh, friendly models. Although friendly models could have caused a barrier. We'll get that in a second. So you can't jog over or through an obstacle, um, but you can spend two ND to do a traverse action. And you literally, you have to be touching it, and then you just plonk the model on the other side, touching it on the other side. Um, and then they don't block line of sight, but do provide cover. So you can draw a line of sight through the wall or building, or not building, uh, hedge or fence or box, etc. cetera. Um, and certain some there's, there's obviously some terrain that won't fit into that, and you have to discuss that with your opponent, which we'll get to when we talk about barriers, which is coming next. So barriers tend to be larger pieces of terrain. They could be huge tree trunks, there could be high walls, uh buildings, big rocky outcrops, that kind of thing. They're barriers. You can't jog, step or traverse over them at all. They're completely impenetrable. You have to you have to go around them. Um and they completely line our sight. So you can't roll our sight through it, over anything. Even if you're a fairy who can fly. Um Obviously, if the pillar base is sticking out, you can draw a sight to it, because as long as any of your base is able to see it, then you can. Um, but you get the normal minus one or minus two um, for cover. Um, and last thing I will, I will I will just recite the bit that says about fairies. So fairies, drug actions are not affected by water features or wooded patches, and they may move over obstacles and other models during drug actions, provided their place does not overlap at the end of the move. Um, so one other thing to add is that doors and windows are obstacles. That's what. That's basically what it is. So if you want to get through a doorway that's not an open door, that's a closed door It counts as an obstacle. So um, you normally have to pay two. varies do not. And the same with windows. Um, I'm 99% sure that what I've just said is correct. Um, hopefully Tom will listen to this and correct me if I'm wrong and I will somehow... I'll add a correction in the next one if, if that's wrong I know that windows definitely are I've just said it about doors and I'm not sure about it but windows definitely are obstacles because fairies can fly straight through the windows um, other people can't Um, yeah so the one thing that's tricky with sometimes with, this, with the definition of these terrains is obstacles what's an obstacle what's a barrier open ground water and wooded patches are fairly obvious <laughs> it's which is an obstacle which is a barrier and basically the best thing to do is if you're not sure when you set up with your game or with your um whether you're playing against your opponent is make sure you're defining what's what when you start generally speaking obstacles shouldn't be thicker than an inch uh, i mean we are slightly lenient with that some of the boxes that you'll have seen on our reports slightly thicker than an inch we say that they're obstacles um, but then some of the boxes are big, bigger and taller we say they're barriers and if i've got a pile of boxes um, we say it's a barrier as well so Um, Whereas the walls that we use, for example, or the barrels we sometimes have, they are counted as obstacles. Um, Most of it should be fairly obvious what's a barrier and what's an obstacle. A building is a barrier, Uh, a big rock is a barrier, Um, a fence should be an obstacle, but just check with your opponent what you have. Because if you've got a very high fence, for example, you might want to say that it's a barrier and not an obstacle. So just cover that with your opponent before you start. Get it really clear, label all the things, that's an obstacle, that's an obstacle, no, that's a barrier, it's too big, that's a barrier, it's too big. Get that sorted before you start so that you don't get problems later on. In terms of what Twain does, the main thing is for really is blocking our site and blocking giving cover. So if any part of your base is intercepted, so let's say uh, I've got a uh, Flintlock firing at uh, Doug, if there's a box. Somewhere in between our two bases, along any point between our two bases, um, then I'll be shooting at a minus one. If the centre-to-centre of our bases is blocked by an obstacle, minus two cards. Simple as that. Okay. Unless I'm standing, so if I'm flintlock and I'm standing within, within an inch of that cover, so I'm standing behind a wall, firing over it at Doug, and that's the only thing in between us into Infinity Lock and Doug, it's no minuses. Which makes a lot of sense. If Doug is near a box, he's going to hide behind it. If I'm standing next to the box, I'm going to be shooting over it. I'm going to lean over with my gun and shoot over the box so he wouldn't get cover for that. And uh, friendly models are... And then, now get me out of my head now, it's are actually barriers. So friendly models are barriers. Um, so, for example, if I've got Gut sitting in the middle of the board and Fanchet's directly behind him, you can't draw a line of sight through Gut to fancy hat and that also applies in combat so for example if um let's say uh seasick is behind the fire spitter and my model is the other side of the fire spitter he can't attack me through the fire spitter he's got three inch melee so his range isn't long enough he can't attack me through it he has to move around to the point where he can see some of my base before he can do that um he is in seasick uh, okay, that's, I think, covers the different kinds of terrain. In terms of setting up your terrain on the board, um, you want to avoid any big pieces of terrain directly in the middle of the board, um, generally speaking, because um, that's where you're going to do your moonstone drop. And you don't really want to be dropping your moonstones onto a building because they'll scatter really far, then you might do it. You might, Or you might decide your opponent you want to make a bit of a different board, and place your moonstones, it entirely up to you, but generally speaking, I would say avoid having a big bit of terrain right in the middle. You want some kind of gap in the middle where you can drop your moonstones into. There's obviously some scenarios where you place a moonstone anyway. So, for example, there's some new scenarios coming where um, a stone circle scenario, which will be coming out in the next book, where the moonstone is placed directly in the middle of the board inside a stone circle. So, um, that's different. But then you wouldn't put a building there anyway because it's part of the scenario um but yeah you want to avoid anything really right in the middle you can put some obstacles stuff fairly close to the middle and what you can also do especially with friendly games you not not so possibly in like a tournament setting or competitive game but if you want to have something in the middle you drop your moonstones and put it back you say well, that's where the well's going to go that's where this hut's going to go in the in this game we'll drop the moonstones and then put it back in that spot shuffling any moonstones around that you need to or you know adjusting the terrain as necessary. Um, And that actually goes generally for obstacles and things near the the middle of the board, because that's where you drop your moonstones from. Um, You don't want too much in that middle, because otherwise you end up with a big clump of them in the middle. Um, You want to have space for them to bounce and move around. Um, What we often do in our games, so anyone that's seen our our tanner will know that we have... you know, Our board usually looks fairly similar. We do have some other terrain, but generally we like using our little houses. Um, We tend to put the houses around, relatively around the outside... Have a sip of coffee, but also the um, map that we use has got a road going around it, so we like to make it look like it's a board, like, like it's somewhere you'd actually be, so the houses face off onto the road rather than just in the middle of nowhere, um, and there's no, I don't put a house on a road because that doesn't make sense, or a tree, I don't put a tree going out the middle of the road because that doesn't make sense either. You can do what you like, but I'm just saying it creates a more cinematic feel if it actually looks like an actual setting. Um, we put our trees going around the outside of the roads, um, or on the greener patches of the board. We'll put the trees. Same with the mushrooms and things, and the signposts will be on the edge of the road. But I will put boxes and barrels in the middle of the road, as if they've fallen off a cart or something. Um, you know, it's up to you what you do. And when you've got a board like that with a road running through it, you kind of you're restricting yourself to a certain extent of where you want to put things. Because you've got a road there, you can just place it terrain if you like, but it doesn't look very nice. Whereas if you've got, say, just a grass mat or a plain board, you can be much more creative where you put things. Um, now, in the current set of models that are out, there's not that many models that interact with terrain particularly, but there are coming out more that will be. So we'll talk about that, and I'll talk about that in a minute as well, because that um, may affect your terrain placement too. Again, I think the most important thing is agreeing with your opponent that you're both happy with the terrain setup. In a tournament, that's not really possible because the, the um, tournament organiser should have set up all the terrain to be fairly neutral. So that there's obstacles on both sides, there's barriers on both sides, there's wood, perhaps, if you've got them on both sides, um, to make the board feel as even as possible. I say both sides, all four sides technically, actually, because you could start on any of the four sides. Um so the tournament organiser should, should be dealing with that anyway to um, make sure that everyone's fair, fair as possible. Um, same, with the, same with things like um, uh, water features. Generally speaking, you probably don't want a water feature running through the middle of your map. Um, it will certainly hinder anyone that isn't a fairy. Um, so think about where you want your water feature. We don't use water features much in our games, but um, I have... Back to a new Kickstarter relatively recently, which does come with a lot of water features. So um, we may be doing doing more with water features um, before too long, uh, which would be good because there's there's there's, characters, there's a character coming out that interacts with water features more than other others. So it could be interesting. Um, I think that's it on placement of terrain. You want to make sure you've got a variety out there. You've got some obstacles. You've got some barriers. Um, some wooded patches. Uh, and we've done games before where there's no buildings at all you can do like a forest style board and that's quite fun um, it does it'll, it'll impact maybe it might impact them all to take um, certain builds are affected more by terrain than others Um, so like if, you, if you've if you got a heavy arcane build and there's a lot of terrain on the board you know it's going to affect you negatively because your opponent's going to be getting a lot more cover whereas if they're a more melee based um, troop then they they benefit from the cover of terrain more than the arcane build does, um, so that's something worth considering. And, and again, in friendly games, it's it's worth taking the time with your opponent to think about what you're likely to be bringing, so that one of you hasn't got an unnecessary advantage just because of the ball you set up. Um, so if you're not sure, if you, if you're you know, meeting someone you haven't played before at a, a club or something, I would say just set up a general amount of terrain to make it look look nice and a bit of variety, when no one would have any particular advantage. Um so next thing really is using terrain. So I'll talk about general use of terrain before I talk about individual characters that benefit from it. I'm going to coffee. So open ground is it's open ground, there's not much to say about that. Except knowing that if you've got a model placed in open ground, they are vulnerable to being hit by arcane spells. Um arcane abilities, I should say. Um Water features um can be a really good place to stick someone if they've got a moonstone, because it's hard to get to them. Um so that can be quite a good thing to think about if you've got someone with a with a moonstone you want to keep them a bit safer but you can't get them off the board stick them in the middle of a pond because it's harder for people to get to them unless you're a fairy so that's worth thinking about that's, that's one of the better uses actually for for water features I think is actually to protect someone it doesn't provide cover of course so if the water if the water feature has not got cover there they could just be blasted with arcane abilities but it does make it harder for them to come and get the moonstones afterwards and things so it could be a um, a, bit of a sneaky safety net for your for your moonstones. Um, obstacles and barriers, obviously, um, barriers in particular are particularly useful for protecting someone if they've got a moonstone. Um, I often find that if I've got buildings around, I'll I'll try and nab a couple of moonstones with someone and then stick them in the building or behind the building um, where they can um, where they can be safe because they can't be hit by anything. So really, that's one of the best uses of barriers is to um, keep someone safe. Also, I suppose I didn't it mention elevated positions so. If someone's in the sort of second story of a building, if they're firing down um, out of that elevated position, I think, I believe, and I might be wrong with this, my apologize if I am. I think you get plus one arcane card for firing from an elevated position, um, and it's an additional minus one or minus two as well if you're being fired at because you're in elevated position, um, which is good. So. Um, I forgot what's going with the next bit now. Um yes, what are they sort of best for. And really the best thing for a house is to keep someone safe. If you can get someone in a building, particularly if you can get up a couple of stories in that building, it's pretty hard for them to get to you unless they can be teleported there. So like Shaberoon can obviously stick someone straight in a building, no problem, as long as they're within eight. Brother Daniel can do that in his ability and there's nine, there's a couple other I think that can sort of uh you place them within eight inches, that kind of thing, then um they can disappear into a building. I think Quack can do that for his um, signature move. I think you just place him within four or eight inches. So if he's within, if he's near a building, you can just place him in the building. Some say move four inches. In which case, no, you can't. But if you can be placed within a certain amount, then you can be placed in a building. So you can go. You can literally teleport through a barrier to do that. Um, so that's another thing that's quite that to think about. If you've got someone like Quack. Um, I think it's I think it's Quack that is he's, he's placed in four inches. I've got the book here. I can have a look. Um, then you can yeah stick him next to a bit in, inside the building. I find it now. Um, oh no, he's he he moves four inches. Um, yeah, so she's not him uh, that can do that. Um, you've got people that, like Eric who can swap places with someone. So if there's someone in the building, he can swap places with them. Um, I think. Let me just have a look at... Yeah, Boom Boom was what I was thinking of. His signature, his enter effect, is place this model anywhere within six. Um, so yeah, if he's within six inches of the inside of that building, just stick him in the building. Um, and he's suddenly very, very safe. So yeah, that's another thing that you can think about using buildings for. I'm actually trying to try and find where I was now. Here we go. Um, obstacles, also really good to stand someone behind if they are an arcane... Of using their arcane spells because they aren't affected by the cover, but they, they, they those are their aren't. But they they get the benefit of it. Um, that's a really simple one. It's also good to think about if someone's moved in moving into position to make a shot at you. If you can make a little step behind some cover to make that that shot harder, that's always worth it. Remember your reaction steps; they're really useful for getting behind cover, or even sometimes for far enough behind to get out of the way. I sometimes poke someone outside of a building. Um so they can draw a line of sight to someone and aren't affected by the minus one, but if someone moves to get in a position to hit shoot me back, I can just do a little step back behind that barrier and they can't hit me at all anymore. Um that's worth thinking about too. Um so thinking about that's kind of it, I think, for terrain. I can't think of anything else really apart from the main thing obviously to think about um how you use a terrain to either benefit you in terms of firing over it or be benefited by being fired at by Arcane. Um and obviously, you can fight around a melee over an obstacle, but you can't fight around a melee through a barrier. So you can't fire it. You can fight it through a doorway, but not through, um I think, oh, doors I wasn't sure about. I have to ask Tom again about doors because I can't remember. Um But obstacles you can. So you can fight around a melee through a window, uh, which is quite interesting, which is kind of fun. Um, so that's worth thinking about remembering. If you're, if you're near the window to try and fire out of it and someone comes up to you for melee, they can hit you through it Um because it's a window, which makes sense. I can stab my sword to the window. And the other thing obviously to remember always is that fairies ignore it. And it's really important to remember that fairies can just jog straight over your terrain if you're not careful. It's, it's an easy one to forget, um, that they can do that. Um so yeah, don't don't forget that fairies ignore obstacles, wooded packets and water and other models when they move, when they do a jog. So they can really um, they can move really easily into and out of terrain to get where they want to be. They can move into wooded patches and stuff like that. So they 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 are the ones that can often benefit most from terrain, which makes sense because they've also got the least wounds. Um, so, but you'll also find actually that when you're facing fairies, it's a bad idea to take too much arcane anyway because you're minus two against all of them at the best of times. Okay, time to think about some of the characters in particular that benefit from terrain directly, and they 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 actually interact with the terrain so in the original sort of way i guess i call it wave one of models um there's not there weren't many in the first lot that came out with the first kickstarter that actually interact directly with terrain The the main one and the one that's probably the most important one to think about is uh is grub the goblin i'm trying to find his entry now in the book oops got past him um because he's got an ability called wormhole where if he's uh, next to an obstacle, he can spend two to appear uh, next to any piece of obstacle train on the board. He cannot take moonstones with him though. But if you're facing Grub, it's really worth knowing. He's actually one, he's fairly good in combat, and he's got an ability that is not affected by veil or cover. So, particularly if you're a fairy, you want to be really wary of where Grub is, because he can damage you quite horrifically if you're not careful. Um, he can jump right next to you and then hit you with a bug spray, and you're minus two evade is irrelevant so he will be drawing four arcane cards at you which is not very fun um and all the damage is magical so he's actually not bad in combat either he's got no minuses and he does magical damage and his um signature does quite a lot of damage it does three three damage against a falling swing and a thrust um if you've got a couple of those he's going to be doing six damage to just about anyone that's going to hurt a lot of people um so worth thinking about where grub is, because he can zip around the board really easily and do bits of damage. He can also mean he can zip next to a moonstone that might be sitting out on the edge somewhere. He can he can be starting in the middle of the board and suddenly he's appeared next to that moonstone you didn't think anyone could get to. Um Yeah. He's the only one really in that first lot that came out that interacted with terrain, particularly. There's quite a few that are coming out are out now. So the two in the most re- recent Sets that came out in the Blood Magic and the Gnome set, which oh, i what's called, I'm sorry. Um, there's two, well, two or three, there's three, in fact, in the Gnome, all three in the Gnome set interact with terrain in some way. None of the fairies do. No, none of the fairies do. But Muradai has got an ability called Sewer rat I come off, it, I came up it. <laughs> Tom refined it, he did, of course, but um, I'm quite pleased with that ability. So basically, if he's in a building... He can spend, I think it's two energy to disappear and appear next turn in any other building. Um, good if you've got a, a Moonstone disadvantage at the beginning. You deploy him in a building and in turn two he just appears in one on the other side of the board. Also good if he's got Moonstone that you can get him into a building. Then he can disappear into one that's just miles from everyone and basically just be safe. I've done that a couple of times in games where I've managed to grab a couple of Moonstones, leg it into a building with him. And just sit there, my opponent's gone. Well, they I can't get to those. It's like, no, you can't. Um, Joanna, interactive terrain, she's got an ability called Revenge of the Forest Friends. I think Revenge of the Forest Friends. I can't get her card up because I'm recording on my phone. Where if you're within, I think it's like three inches of a piece of um, wooded terrain, um, she can hurt you, which isn't very nice. She can just, um, so that's what, definitely what's worth thinking about if you're either of you are thinking of bringing Joanna. And again, like in a friendly game, you want to make sure the board isn't loaded with forest terrain, or she has an unnecessary disadvantage. advantage. Um but you also make sure there's not none, because then that's just an ability she just can't use, probably. Um so that's one worth that thinking about. You want a few wooded patches around, but if you have loads, then Joanna's suddenly a lot better because it's hard to get away from those trees completely. And there's Loki who can just create trees for her. So um not as not necessarily that, that far away to be able to cast things because her ability is an 18-inch range. Um, but, yeah, so he doesn't interact with terrain, as it were, but he can create terrain. So he can create a wall. He can help create like a, a complete wall of terrain in front, um, which is obviously a bit scary. Um, I think might might have changed the ability that means he can't deploy them touching each other. I can't remember what, what we... we, we me and Tom talked about that. Um, but Anyway, he can definitely create some decent barriers in the way of your models to, to help... Avoid some of that ar- those arcane abilities, um, and there's another model coming out soon called Herbert Graybottom, um, who can also do that too. So that's another model that can interact with terrain and is worth considering because um, he can also build forests and they stay and they're permanent. They're, they're, it's not like it's the end of the turn; you can't sort of dispel it or anything like that. It just it's there. You've grown a tree and it's now there. Um, and it's a 50 mil circular token that you need to use for that. Um, so that's quite what we're, we're thinking about. Other ones coming out soon that can interact with terrain, you've got Nose, who's the big troll. He can jog in and out of terrain freely. Um, and he also gains plus two energy each turn if he starts to turn in some water. So that's really good. Um, but obviously, very there's no water on the board, he doesn't benefit. If there is water on the board and it's anyone in the middle, he's absolutely horrific. That's a troll with four energy. That's not nice. Um trying to think who else could interact with terrain. Those are the ones I mainly thought about. Um, yes, I can't think of any more. Um there's a couple of us I think who can ignore terrain when they go over it. I can't remember what they are and who they are now. I think that's that's probably it for the moment. Um but yeah, there's a few models coming out that that or either either are out or will be coming out. Uh, they ignore terrain. Course, actually, the other one's actually thinking about it, the two airships that will be coming out, the Gnome and the Goblin airship. They both ignore, I think, all terrain. I think they can fly over anything, as long as they they can't end their move on terrain, same as anyone else can't. But they also ignore all terrain. Um, I don't know about barriers, but I think they, think they ignore everything. That um, makes sense. They, can, they they are just flying things. Um, so, yeah, um, they're quite fun to use. Um... I think that's probably everything I want to say about terrain, really. Um, it's an interesting one. It comes up a lot um, in discussions about how much terrain to use, where to put it. Um, I guess my best, best best recommendation for that is, it sounds a bit, I don't know, maybe a bit uh, shameless plug, but watch some of our battle reports, and you'll see where our terrain is and how it affects stuff. Because we've got a lot of battle reports up now, 23, I think, with various different kinds of terrain out there, and that will help you work out, what you want, what your board could look like. We've, we've tried to do a, a, several different kinds of boards. We've done kind of standard with a few buildings, a few trees. We've done pure forest boards. We've done underground style boards. Um, yeah, it's worth taking t- checking out those really and seeing what you think. So yeah, that's it on terrain, I think. Um, next thing I was going to add, which is going to be my last segment, which I'll try and put into every podcast, is what we're looking forward to most. So it'll be what I'm looking forward to most today. Um, What I'm looking forward to most, I think, in terms of I have to choose one thing I'm really looking forward to coming out is the Gnome airship. Um, Because I really want to build a Gnome gun line list. And I've seen the render for the model. It looks awesome. And I think it just offers something really different to the game. It's a model that can't be hit in melee at all. Um, and I think it's just a really exciting addition. It'll be a flying model, so it'll probably be on some kind of flying base. That's kind of fun. It also offers opportunities for um, conversion. You could have it you know, stuck in a tree or something fun like that. You could do what you like with it. And I think yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'm really excited about that model. Um, I think it should be really interesting. So that's the one thing I'm most looking forward to. Obviously, there's a lot I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to all the new stuff coming out, and I'm really looking forward to the Lesher Vault coming out because um, one, I kind of want to be holding my own model. <laughs> I, I, w- I want to have Brother Daniel. I think that's cool. Um, I am very excited about that. Not 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 ashamed of that at all. <laughs> I'm very excited about a model that's based on me. Um, but they also look amazing. Um, the couple look absolutely fantastic. I think absolutely, and this actually goes for all the models. Really, hands down to the people involved right from the beginning. You know, hands down to Tom. For his and and Richie, both. And I think it's probably mainly Tom to be fair, but for his ideas for these models, and then Shane, who's the artist, really helps bring his ideas to life. And the sculptors, um, got some amazing sculptors on board. Uh, I don't know who's done what, but there are some amazing sculptors, and they all look absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm really really excited about them, what what's coming up soon. Um, yeah that's it for today really um if you have anything you want to ask so if you have any questions that you'd like to ask that you'd like me to answer in my um listeners questions best way to do that is to uh write on the facebook page so i've got a facebook page for yield the but it's also for mooncast as well so write on that page is the best thing you can also message me via that page um I'm obviously on the Moonstone Players group as well, so you can just do the question on there. It'll probably get answered on there because we, you know, we usually either me, Tom or some of the other regulars answer questions fairly promptly on there. But if you ever want anything discussed on here, uh, I mean, obviously, I try as much as I can to get uh, someone else talking on this podcast, not just me. Off it's me and Jack. I'm hoping to get other people on again soon too. Um, We can also discuss it. So if it's a question that you think requires more of a discussion, then that's best to post directly to me via the Facebook page. Okay, that's it for this one. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it.